Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Welcome back to the discussion on the future of the Federal Trade Commission with Mark Jamison and Bilal Sayed. Dr. Jamison, let's get started with a question from you. So Bilal, we've seen several procedural changes at the the Federal Trade Commission over the past two or three months. I was just wondering what your thoughts might be on some of them. So I'll I'll list a few and I'll list them one at a time and just kind of give us your reaction as to what's going on and what the impacts might be. So one is eliminating the requirement of a majority vote of the commissioners to approve the start of an investigation. Now a single commissioner can sign off and launch an investigation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I have mixed thoughts on that, right? I mean, I think I have concerns about the whole, the commission structure as a five-member body, right? I mean, it leads to, it doesn't always allow for speed in moving, and it also allows for sort of conflicting messages, either to the public or the staff, and also allows for potentially delays in investigation. However, the place was set up as a commission, and removing what could be a deliberative exchange between the commissioners before the start of an investigation could be harmful. I think, you know, a better approach would have been to try to impose some deadlines on the approval of such things. There are, you know, under the commission's rules, internal rules, there are some deadlines, but they're both often not adhered to and, and somewhat flexible. So. Speed is often a virtue, not always, but I think this change, you know, loses some of the benefits of deliberation pre-investigation or before expanding the scope of an investigation. And in that sense, it was a mistake. There may have been a better way to address, you know, the concerns than just eliminating, you know, the input of, you know, four of the of the commissioners. Another procedural change we've heard about has been that now the chairperson has the power to issue subpoenas. What are your thoughts on that? Well, look, I think it's the same same thing, right? There's some benefit to a model that looks a lot like the Department of Justice model, you know, where you don't have to get a majority of votes to do things, or you don't have delay that's caused by deliberation or, you know, back and forth among commissioners and the commissioners and the staff. One criticism of the agency that may or may not be true when looked at in the past, but is probably was something to be concerned about in moving forward, was how quickly did the agency move to identify and investigate and potentially remediate anti-competitive or anti-consumer activity. And so removing some of the hurdles to delay I think is a benefit. But again, it probably could have been done in a way that didn't place substantial power within one commissioner when the place was set up as a five commission body, right? So it seems inconsistent with having what is a bipartisan or multipartisan commission to put authority into a chairman. Bill Kovacic has done some good work, as of others, but Bill in particular, showing 
relative stability across the commission, across different presidential administrations, as compared to the Department of Justice, you know, where you have a single head as opposed to an arguably collegial body. And I think, you know, moving to a model that looks more like the antitrust division loses some of the benefits of a commission, bipartisan or multipartisan body. And there are inefficiencies associated with that, but there are some benefits to it. And if what you want to see is head snapping changes in policy across administration, you know, that's what they're setting up for. And that seems like a mistake. It seems like it either does politicize the agency or looks like the agencies become politicized when the changing of one person, the chair, can make a big difference in the activity that the commission does. So something else that's expanded the role of the chairperson is eliminating the role of the agency's chief administrative law judge in overseeing fact-finding. Now that the chairperson will designate someone to be head of fact-finding procedures, what are your thoughts there? The role and the quality and the strength of the administrative law judges and the processes by which facts are developed sort of in, in trial setting and then sort of move up to the commission for, you know, sort of the appellate review have been a concern of commissioners and the commission in the, in the past. You know, a dozen or so years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, one of the commissioners sat as effectively an administrative law judge in a trial proceeding. And that had both benefits and, and costs. So again, I think there is a slowness to the agency's actions that should be addressed and improvements to the case development and what I'll call the judicial role of, of the agency are, I think, appropriate. I think, though, you know, one criticism of the FTC is that sort of they're the judge, the jury, and, you know, investigator here. You know, the agency votes to bring a case. The commission votes to bring a case that's presented to them by the staff. Then that case goes before either a federal court judge or an administrative court judge. If it's an administrative court judge, it's sort of within the FTC's system. The administrative law judge's decision is reviewed in the first instance by the commission. And so the people who voted to put a matter into litigation and into the administrative system often then get to vote and opine on whether the administrative law judge's decisions in that case were correct or not. So some people call that, you know, sort of a kangaroo court, right? You proceed to put a case into litigation and then you decide whether that case was appropriate to, to bring or not. Setting up a system that looks more like there's less independence between the commission and sort of the fact-finding and initial legal conclusions, that looks problematic to me. And, you know, makes you wonder about due process concerns. But clearly, there should be some changes in the process of bringing cases through the administrative law system. This one just doesn't seem like a good one to me, in theory. In, in practice, if she, picks a, if she picks a special master of, you know, a retired, prominent antitrust person, well, maybe that would be good. You know, pick someone who's been doing this 30, 40 years. 
with some real trial experience, that could be very good. Pick someone within the agency who otherwise might, you know, find their career affected by how they decide. Well, that that seems like a problem to me. One of the ways that agencies like this help people know what's going on, what's what's the agency do, how's it thinking about things, is for people to make public statements or public presentation, oftentimes by commissioners, but sometimes by the staff as well. Recently, the staff has been told no more public presentations, no more public statements by staff. We're too busy with other things. What are your thoughts on this? How's, how's that going to play out and, and how's it going to affect the work of the agency? So again, I have mixed views on this. I mean, first, it's it is hard for me to believe that, you know, whether it's management staff or other staff, whether they're making presentations at an ABA meeting or a, a conference put on by a consumer group or a, or a law school or a trade association, hard to me to believe that that has a significant effect or even any effect on both the case process. In fact, I think it probably has a beneficial effect on generating cases because when the staff is out there talking about the cases they're interested in and that they want to bring and the harms there and the concerns they have, I think you actually generate cases that way. So I think it's a mistake to curtail this kind of what I'd call outreach by the staff. It's not just lawyers going to conferences where they serve good food and you pal around with some guy who, you know, you might ask for a job in a year or two. I mean, this is real outreach to community organizations. And it does have the effect, I think, of generating generating cases. And so I think I think it's a mistake, even if the agency is as resource constrained as as they appear to be. And I think it's it's also consistent with you know, what I call this false effort at greater transparency. The agency has started to have open meetings and to post, you know, petitions they receive, to post them for public comment, as if this was an agency that was not transparent in the past, did not seek public input in the past. That perception is just untrue. The agency, probably more than any other agency that I'm aware of, has the public input in its conferences and through these outreach opportunities by by the commissioners and by the staff it's just a mistake it's it's penny wise and pound foolish because you get someone like and I'll throw some names out there you know Marcus Meyer out there talking about the types of cases the agency wants to bring in pharmaceutical markets for example well that develops you know, sort of a path of complaints coming into the agency. We heard you talk about X. Well, we have a case that fits, that we think fits with X. And you lose that if these guys are sheltered, you know, in place in their offices. So recently, and I know I've heard Commissioner Wilson talk about this, who is one of the Republican commissioners. She has been having issues since the new chair arrived on being able to obtain information from the commission staff. And this seems really Candidly, really petty to me. I mean, it's, so I don't understand how that's even feasible because it's it's information given to a government agency. So how does it work? Where they basically just refuse to work with her, and apparently she's had to go to the outside world, outside the FTC, to get the the data that she wants. And I imagine if it's happened to her, it's happened to others. So 
how does that even happen? Well, it's a good question. How does it happen, right? I mean, the agency's been largely collegial, you know, for the whole time I've been practicing, and that the chair doesn't ask the staff to stiff, you know, commissioners of a different party. It's counterproductive, and it probably isn't even effective. Now, although each commissioner, at least prior to some of these changes, gets a vote. You know, the chairman is the person who sort of runs the agency, either directly or through its leadership designees, like the head of the Bureau of Competition or Bureau of Principal Protection. So it is possible, of course, to direct the staff to stiff other commissioners. It's, it's not good policy, but it, but it can be done. I think it's ineffective because it's very easy for the commissioners to indicate they're not getting information that otherwise is, would have been normal to share. And so, I mean, would she have to FOIA her own agency? <laughs> I'm wondering. Well, I mean, I think, I think, I think. Look, in some respects, what Commissioner Wilson was complaining about was information shared with the parties or directed, you know, requests directed to the parties that you know did not, you know, leave the office of the chair or, or, okay. or others. And so there, you just can reach out to parties either directly or indirectly and say, we're just not hearing about what's going on, you know, at sort of what I call the early stages of an investigation. And, you know, I think people will then provide that information. And silly, in the past, you would be cautious about requesting a meeting or an audience with a commissioner because, you know, there there are many matters that that take their time and you didn't want to go speak to them too early in the process for fear that you you know, might limit your ability to talk to them later. Well, that's not a rule. That was just sort of a either a or sort yeah. of a smart, you know, tactic, right? You didn't want to use up your chits with commissioners before it was useful. Now, if what it means is people go talk to the commissioners earlier than they otherwise would and, and more than they otherwise would, well, that just seems inefficient. It doesn't really seem like you've accomplished anything. And of course Again, if you have a commission, right, if it was set up to be bipartisan, well, stiffing people at the beginning of an investigation probably hurts your ability to move things forward later, whether it's because you don't get the benefit of input from people or because things just get slowed down later on. It it seems a bit sophomoric, then it feels like we all don't benefit from it. Yeah, it's hard to see who benefits from this. It's just hard to... And of course, commissioners can still slow things down if they feel they haven't been given information. Just they end up slowing it down at the at the end of the process, what would otherwise be the end as opposed to the beginning. And it seems silly. Well, thank you so much for your time. I feel like we got kind of an FTC one-on-one. That's a, it's just such a huge area of interest, especially now with all the antitrust and competition, both legislation and discussions that are going on in the FTC. So this is very helpful to our listeners. And Dr. J, thank you for joining us. I look forward to having you as a co-host in the near future, hopefully on another part of an antitrust and competition podcast. So thank you for being a guest on Explain to Shane. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.